Big news. The debt ceiling bill passed in the House on Wednesday. Here is Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, making the big announcement. Not only did we give you the greatest savings in American history, there's going to be people who are on welfare today that will no longer be on welfare. Yay, we threw people off welfare. They're going to end up homeless and not be able to feed their children. Yay. Actually, the truth is he threw people off food stamps. But that sounds too cruel. So he said welfare, which is a much better racially tinged word that satisfies the bloodlust of his Republican constituents. By a vote of 314 to 177, the Republican-controlled House passed the new debt ceiling bill on Wednesday night, which means the American government will not default. It never was going to. After weeks of posturing and bickering, Speaker Kevin McCarthy stared into the abyss, saw the Freedom Caucus, a rabid band of insurrectionist hyenas who came to Washington to destroy it, and he blinked. Kevin McCarthy blinked, he caved, and while he saved the full faith and credit of the United States, he ended up negotiating away his speakership. And Wednesday night, he handed Joe Biden a victory that, short of a health scare, seals Joe Biden's reelection. There will be no more talk of debt ceilings until after 2025. That's part of the new bill. Now, all that's left until Election Day is Republican squabbling, infighting over who will be the next speaker and, of course, who will be the next Republican nominee for president. It will get ugly, and eventually the Republicans will rally around a presidential candidate, not a speaker, though. They will not rally around their speaker. We're going to go through a lot of speakers before 2025, and the American people are going to lose faith in the GOP. They're not going to think that the GOP knows how to govern because they don't. And while the race between President Biden and Trump or whomever, the, the race will be tight, Republicans will not win the presidency. They do not win the popular vote. They never do. And right now, the only viable Republican nominee is Trump, but he faces a series of trials. And while the American people love a good show, they no longer have to put Trump in the Oval Office to see a good show. You know, Trump can catch fire in our courtrooms, and that's just as entertaining. That's the problem for Trump right now, because in terms of giving the American people what they want to see, and let's not forget, that's precisely what the Trump phenomenon is all about, giving the American people what they want to see. These Trump criminal trials all this year and next are going to be a far better show than another four years of Donald Trump sitting in the White House and destroying our country. Here is Kevin McCarthy before the vote on Wednesday selling the bill to his caucus and the American people. Or what about work-capable adults without dependents? Well, there's no such thing as work-capable adults without dependents. He's bragging about how they're cutting food stamps for work-capable adults. There's no such thing as work-capable adults without dependents. We all have dependents. We're all interconnected. 
we all have a grandparent, a child, uh, a child at a wedlock, a sister, a friend who is dependent on us for financial assistance. And I know Kevin McCarthy and his Republicans like to imagine a utopia of hyper-individualistic Americans where everyone is completely atomized and doesn't worry about their friends or family. But there's no such thing as work-capable adults without dependents. We are all working. And if we're not working, we're still, we still have dependents. If we're working, we're handing over our paycheck to somebody else to keep them alive. And if we're not working, we're sharing our food stamps or our welfare with them. There's no such thing as a work-capable adult without dependents. They're going to get a job. No, they're not going to get a job. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about throwing people off food stamps. That's all he accomplished is throwing some people off food stamps, and they're not going to get a job. This new bill throws people off food stamps if they're not homeless or veterans, and they're not going to get a job. You know why? Because they already have a job. People on food stamps have jobs. And by the way, food stamps is about $6 a day. You think people aren't working because they get $6 a day in food stamps? Gee, I'm not, I can get $6 worth of free food? <laughs> I'm not going to go to a job. What do I need to work for? McCarthy, this new bill, the Republicans didn't cut welfare. They didn't cut Social Security, Medicaid, or, or Medicare. They threw some people off food stamps. Hey, you want to get people off food stamps, Kevin McCarthy, and you want to balance the budget at the same time? Raise the minimum wage. The minimum wage is $7.25, and it hasn't been raised since 2009. In real dollars, the minimum wage hasn't been raised since 1949. Raise the minimum wage. Then people won't need food stamps, you effing moron. Not only that, they'll pay taxes on their livable wage. That means more revenue comes into the Treasury, you moron. But that's not why Kevin McCarthy came to Washington. He came to Washington to starve the American people so they would accept slave wages. They're going to learn new skills. No, they're not. You just threw people off welfare. That's all you did. They're not going to learn new skills. You cut food stamps in this new bill. That's all you did, you liar. No new skills. They're not going to learn new skills because they can't afford college or vocational schools to teach them those new skills. You know why they can't go to vocational schools? Because you've turned them all into diploma mills that cause veterans and poor people to go deeper and deeper into debt. No new schools, more debt. They're going to rack up debt, which will make your banker friends very happy. And they're going to earn a paycheck because of this bill's new welfare reforms. No, they're not going to earn a paycheck because it's not welfare reform. You cut food stamps. That's all you did. But like I said, welfare is a racist dog whistle, so call it welfare reform. It's a racist dog whistle, even though per capita more white people are on welfare than black people. You cut food stamps, but you can't say that because it sounds so cruel. These reforms are going to change people's lives. Yes, yes, they are. Yes, these reforms are going to change people's lives because not being able to buy food, it's life altering. When you vote on this bill today, 
Somebody's going to have a better job tomorrow because of your vote. Yeah. And that someone is former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who's going to leave the House of Representatives and go get a much better job on K Street, cashing in on all those favors to the oil and gas lobbyists. Families will be stronger and more self-sufficient. People will be lifted out of poverty. Don't believe anyone who says our plan hurts America's social safety net. We are such a generous nation. Yes, we're such a generous nation. Yes, we are. America is such a generous nation. That's why we're the only industrialized country where Americans go bankrupt from medical debt or student loan debt. Such a generous nation. No, actually, we're a nation of pigs. Americans are pigs. Our federal government gives less per capita in foreign aid than most countries in Europe. We take in fewer refugees than most countries in Europe, even though we create the refugees with our war machine. We're such a generous nation that five families here in America or own more wealth than the bottom 90%, and half the country can't come up with $1,000 for an emergency because the minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. And when people fall on tough times, we help them. Yes, when people fall on tough times, we help them. Just ask all the homeless people in your congressional district, Kevin McCarthy. Well, McCarthy couldn't sell the bill to his Republican caucus, but the Democrats stepped up and the bill was passed. Yeas are 314, the nays are 117. The bill is passed. The bill was passed, and I was trying to remember whose toupee that is. Look at that toupee. Like, I, 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 you know, I'm pretty, I'm bad with names, but I'm great with toupees, and I couldn't remember that toupee. And then I remembered when Kevin McCarthy was trying to win the speakership, Matt Gates, the Florida congressman, Republican, voted present. And it was this toupee, Alabama Congress toupee Mike Rogers, who lunged at Matt Gates for reneging on his promise to vote for Speaker McCarthy. Keep your eye on this toupee. It's, uh, it's Alabama Congress toupee. Mike Rogers and watch his toupee lunge for Matt Gates. Keep your eye on the toupee. That is the toupee of Alabama Congress toupee Mike Rogers. And uh, for a guy who wears a toupee, he sure hates toupee for food stamps, doesn't he? That's uh, Alabama Congress toupee Mike Rogers. Call Alabama Congress toupee Mike Rogers and tell me he has the best toupee in Washington, D.C. Everybody call Alabama Congress toupee Mike Rogers and leave a message telling him of all the toupees in in Washington, D.C., his is the most luscious and verdant. And thank you for that great toupee. Well, because he showed loyalty to the speaker, Kevin McCarthy, and tried to slug Matt Gates, McCarthy let uh, Mike Rogers, the Congress toupee from Alabama, he let him pound the gavel to announce that the bill is passed. The same way he rewarded Marjorie Taylor Greene for her loyalty 
by letting her pound the gavel last week. Remember, we showed that and everybody laughed when she asked for decorum in the House. So he let uh, Mike Rogers to pay uh, pound the gavel Wednesday night last week. Marjorie Taylor Greene got to play speaker. Seems the Republicans most loyal to Kevin McCarthy have something seriously wrong with their heads. They're either crazy or they have the best to pay money can buy. Call Alabama Congress to pay Mike Rogers and just leave a message. Best to pay in Washington. Right. That's uh, anyway. McCarthy's doomed. McCarthy's doomed. And North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop went on Fox News after the vote to let the world know that hardline Republicans in the Freedom Caucus are coming for Kevin McCarthy. I think the indication in the vote that more Democrats voted for the bill than Republicans did, and of course Republicans have a larger number of members in the chamber, is a sign who got the best of the deal and, and that the, the benefits of the deal as sold by the leadership have not, they haven't been square with the American people about it. And while Senate Minority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell voted for the bill in the Senate, it's going to pass in the Senate, Ted Cruz's best friend, Utah Senator and crypto insurrectionist Mike Lee, said he was against it. This deal begs the question, with Republicans like these, who needs Democrats? (laughs) Things are looking really bad for Kevin McCarthy, and he deserves it. He's desperate. Here he is actually praising the Biden administration after the deal was struck. And we did forge good relationships. I will tell you, the individuals from Shalanda Young to Rashetti, I have the utmost respect for them. They are bright. They are tough negotiators. They represented in a professional manner the whole time. Someone's auditioning for a job on K Street. I can work across the aisle. I negotiated the budget deal with Ricchetti and Yolanda Young and the Biden administration. Pay me millions of dollars. I can work with the Democrats. He is so gone. He is toast. Well, Billboard reports that Grammy-winning recording artist Lizzo says body shaming and harassment on social media has gotten so bad she is seriously considering quitting the music industry, and retiring to a farm. Lizzo called Twitter especially damaging, saying it's making her hate the world. State troopers in south-central Idaho shot and killed two dogs who had gotten loose from their owner and wandered onto the side of an interstate highway. The patrol officers said they killed the two dogs for fear the dogs might walk onto the road and create a traffic pileup. I'm going to be talking about the police a little later on in the show. CNN is reporting tonight that the Justice Department has in its possession audio of Donald Trump back in July of 2021 at his Bedminster Country Club telling the authors of former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' autobiography that he took from the White House classified Pentagon material that warned of a possible military strike from Iran. The classified material also complained top con- contained top secret plans to counter to counter the 
attack from Iran. The audio is reportedly in the possession of special counsel Jack Smith, who is looking into a possible criminal prosecution of Trump for the way he mishandled classified documents. As I just said, there are now reports that the classified material contained detailed plans on how America would launch an attack against Iran with specifics on troop movements and missile deployments. Also of note on this recording, Trump told the biographers that he would share the memos with them, but he can't because he is limited in what he can declassify. This is what he said back in 2021. He said, I am limited in what I can declassify. The fact that Trump acknowledged that he cannot declassify the documents runs counter to his narrative that as a former president, he had the power to declassify any documents merely by deciding to. So in a court of law, the fact that he's on record saying that he can't declassify these documents shows that he knew he was committing a crime. This could be very damaging. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will officially declare he's running for president next Tuesday. Christie, a Republican, ran in 2016, but dropped out after placing six in that year's New Hampshire primary. I think I have to dust off some old jokes. (laughs) I have many jokes about Chris Christie from 2016. Sources close to former Vice President Mike Pence say next Wednesday he will officially declare that he is running for president. Pence is scheduled to make the announcement hours before his scheduled town hall on CNN. Pence is way down in the polls, trailing Trump and DeSantis, but he reportedly believes his strong religious faith could put him over the top in Iowa, which, because it's the very first Republican caucus, could then catapult him into the lead. In the past 20 years, half a million Americans have died from opiate addiction. One of the leading manufacturers of OxyContin was Purdue Pharma, owned by the Sackler family, seen here, and they refuse to admit any wrongdoing, but they run Purdue Pharma, that's their corporation, and the the corporation has pled guilty Uh, uh, They pled guilty to tricking doctors into overprescribing their drug. Well, on Tuesday, the Sackler family agreed to pay $6 billion into a trust reserved for victims of opiate abuse, as well as hospitals and states who are all suing Purdue Pharma for aggressively marketing opiates to doctors and patients. The Sackler name was plastered over museum wings and university buildings, but a growing number of institutions like the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Guggenheim here in New York, as well as London's Tate Museum, the Jewish Museum in Berlin, and Tufts University in Boston have all decided to wipe the Sackler name off their walls. Latvia on Wednesday became the first country in the world to have an openly gay president. Latvia's ex-foreign minister, Edgars Rinkovics, was chosen by the nation's parliament to serve as president. Rinkovics came out back in 2014. Latvia has yet to legalize same-sex marriage 
as well as same-sex adoptions. It's been three years since Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd, resulting in marches all around America and the world protesting the treatment of blacks by police. After a two-week tour of the United States, Juan Mendez, former U.N. Special Rapporteur on Torture, said the United States has failed to address the systematic violence committed by police against black people. It's part of a special 15-day U.N. investigation into human rights abuses here in the United States. Mendez visited Washington, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Chicago, Minneapolis, and New York. In his report to the United Nations, Mendez says he saw evidence of a militarized police using excessive force disproportionately on people of color. The new UN report concludes law enforcement in America has left the black community exhausted, use the word exhausted, from excessive policing with American police officers facing little to no accountability. That's from the UN. The Guardian reports that more Americans took to the streets after the murder of George Floyd back in 2020 than any time since the 1960s, with more than 26 million people protesting police brutality. The Guardian goes on to report that 19 major metropolitan cities will now have to pay out an unprecedented $80 million in damages to protesters who were injured by police during the protests. The Guardians say that number will blow way past $80 million as more settlements from the 2020 protests are reached. In most of these cities, it's the largest amount of money ever paid out for police brutality. Here in New York City, police paid a record number of $121 million to settle police misconduct complaints in 2022 alone. That's up from $81 million in 2021. In the past decade, New York City police misconduct has cost New York City taxpayers more than $1 billion in out-of-court settlements. So you want to defund the police? Get rid of qualified immunity and make the cops pay instead of the taxpayers. I wonder how many Republicans would say they'd back the blue if they knew how expensive that was. Two years after the George Floyd protests here in New York, a civilian review board here in New York City recommended disciplinary measures for 267 police officers who were caught on tape assaulting Black Lives Matter protesters. New York City cops were caught on tape driving their cars, their patrol cars, into protesters. They were caught on tape clubbing them over the head and firing projectiles unnecessarily. The Civilian Review Board said they could only recommend punishing 267 officers And they added that the number is significantly higher. The number of police officers they wanted to discipline is significantly higher. But the New York City Police Department refused to cooperate with the investigation, even though by law they met, they must. So, you know, we could just arrest these cops, right? 
Only 25% of the complaints against cops from the Black Lives Matter protests could be investigated because during the protests, New York City police officers covered their badge numbers and wore protective headgear, making it impossible to identify them. We couldn't see their faces. See, Americans need to understand the term police riot. Sometimes, most of the times, it's the police who do the rioting, like in Chicago back in 1968 during the Democratic Convention, or in New York back in 2004 during the Republican Convention. Cops are human. They become monsters, but they are human. And like all of us, they get sick of it all and they take it out on the weakest people they can find. Cops fall prey to mob mentality. And we saw during the Black Lives Matter protests how they allowed their collective blood to boil over and start cracking skulls because they knew they could get away with it. Last year, the Washington Post conducted a study of 7,600 police officers around the country here in America, 7,600 police officers whose misconduct resulted in cash settlements. The Post, the Washington Post, collected data on nearly 40,000 payments at 25 of the nation's largest police and sheriff departments within the past decade. And they concluded that in these big cities alone, police brutality cost taxpayers more than $3.2 billion in settlement claims. That's just the 25 largest police departments, and it doesn't include any settlements below $1,000. All of this is background for a trial that you should be paying attention to that's going on in New in a New York City federal court. It began this week and it involves the never talked about laminated courtesy cards handed out by New York City police officers to friends and relatives, handed to friends and relatives for them to flash whenever they run into trouble with the law. You know, growing up, I heard rumors of courtesy cards, but I thought there's no way New York City police would be so stupid as to print out courtesy cards and leave a paper trail that proves exactly what Black Lives Matter or anyone who is poor or not white already knows, that there are two tiers of justice here in the United States, one for the rich, well, one for the white and rich and the connected, and one for everyone else. New York City police officers should be following this trial here in New York City. This is a police officer from Staten Island. His name is Matthew Bianchi, and he is suing the city of New York, claiming he was demoted and suffered emotional and financial distress for writing traffic tickets to drivers after they flashed their laminated courtesy cards. Bianchi, stationed in Staten Island, told the Associated Press this week that's in an, that it's an unwritten rule not to hand out tickets to anyone who flashes a courtesy card because a courtesy card means they're friends or relatives with current or retired members of the police force. Officer Bianchi said he was reprimanded for handing out tickets to relatives of officers 
with his superiors reviewing body cam footage to determine whether he had been rude to their friends. The New York City Police Benevolence Society, that's one of the largest unions for New York City police, the New York City Police Benevolence Society told the Associated Press that, yes, we don't like to talk about it, but these laminated courtesy cards do exist. Officer Bianchi, who filed, who's part of this trial, said many of these courtesy cards ended up on eBay or were sold to people who had absolutely no connection whatsoever to the New York City police. And everybody knew that, he said, but it didn't stop his union from giving him stacks of laminated courtesy cards each year to hand out to his friends and family as some sort of union perk, as, some, as a perk for being a cop. You get to be a big shot. Just flash this card and they won't bust you for marijuana or running a red. Officer Bianchi also says his experience has been that white motorists in Staten Island were way more likely to flash a laminated courtesy card than motorists of color. Here's where it gets worse, just when you think it couldn't get any worse. John Nuthall, he's a, a spokesman for the Police Benevolent Association, that's the police union here in New York City. He said this about laminated courtesy cards. This is what he told the Associated Press this week. And this is everything you need to know about policing here in America. Okay? This is from the spokesman for the police union. This is what he said about laminated courtesy cards. Quote, and this is everything you need to know about policing here in the United States. Listen up, white people. This is what he said. Quote, the law and NYPD policies afford police officers discretion in taking enforcement action. Each police officer determines how to exercise that discretion based on the specifics of each case. Let me read this again, because this is everything you need to know about policing here in the United States. This is what a spokesman for the police union said about courtesy cards, okay? Quote, the law and NYPD, New York Police Department policies, afford police officers discretion in taking enforcement action. Each police officer determines how to exercise that discretion based on the specifics of each case. There is prosecutorial discretion where the DA decides who they're going to put on trial and who they're not. And then there is the discretion of the police officer. It is the police officer's discretion, his or her decision whether or not to pull you over, whether to let you off with a warning or arrest you. Which brings me to Donald Trump, who is incredibly popular in Staten Island, where this trial is taking place. It's the only borough in New York City where Trump beat Hillary and Biden. Trump 
Trump is never going to jail. Never. Because he has a stack of laminated courtesy cards as high as Trump Tower. This is something black people already know. And the sooner white people learn this, the quicker we can change things here in America. Real criminals, the real criminals don't go to prison because the real criminals here in America write the laws. Our laws are written by bankers, hedge fund managers, landlords, billionaires, for-profit health insurance companies, and fossil fuel executives. That's why Jamie Dimon, this guy, this criminal, the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, who should have gone to prison back in 2008 for crashing our economy by making illegal subprime loans. He should have gone to prison for running an international money laundering business for drug dealers and Russian oligarchs and helping out uh, Jeffrey Epstein with the sex trafficking. Jamie Dimon is a criminal who writes the laws. So that's why there's talk right now that Jamie Dimon, instead of going to prison, might run for president. There's talk this week that J.P. Morgan Chase gangster Jamie Dimon is thinking of running for president. You cannot keep track of all the laws he has broken. And you can't keep count of all the regulators he's captured to make sure he never gets prosecuted. Our laws in Washington, our tax code, is written by criminals, billionaires like Jeff Bezos from Amazon or Howard Schultz from Starbucks, who violate the laws and then refuse to negotiate with unions. They, they, don't, they write the laws, and if they don't like the laws that they can't write, they don't obey them. Howard Schultz, head of Starbucks, he's, he's resigned, but uh, Jeff Bezos, head of Amazon. These guys, their companies refuse to negotiate, to recognize the unions, the Starbucks unions, the Amazon unions in direct violation of the National Labor Relations Board. They should be locked up. It's against the law not to recognize these unions. The city of San Francisco outlawed self-driving cars. They said they're too dangerous, but that doesn't stop Google, Uber, Uber, Tesla, Apple from testing their self-driving cars on the streets of San Francisco, causing accidents, even though the city of San Francisco has said, keep these off our streets. They're lethal. Now, th these companies are testing their self-driving cars because they figured out a way to write a law in the state capital that supersedes what the people of San Francisco want. There is a tendency among Trump supporters, white middle class people who think the police will protect them. That's because they're racist. And history shows that cops will more likely arrest and beat up or shoot or strangle or suffocate an innocent black man than they will a white person. And that, for some reason, makes low information voters who vote for Donald Trump that makes them feel like cops are on their side. But trust me, the cops are not on anybody's side except the rich. If cops kept Trump voters safe, 
they wouldn't feel the need to own guns. The Republican voters, they think they like the cops, or in theory, they like the cops. They like the idea of cops. They like the idea of seeing hippies and black people and young people getting their skulls split open by a, a cop. They like the, the idea of that cop. But when it comes to the practicality of dealing with American cops, deep down inside, Trump voters hate the cops. We saw it on January 6th. But Republicans lack the vocabulary to articulate what they really think about law and order because they're fascists and they're confused. All they know is that they're scared, they're angry, they want somebody to protect them, and they know it's not the cops. They're afraid of the cops, so they show them respect. And once they start showing respect, they think they like the cops they don't like the cops. They don't trust the cops, which is why Trump supporters are stockpiling weapons and shooting anyone who knocks on their door. The Republican voter fears a police state. They fear an overly intrusive government. And yet their knee-jerk reaction is to back the blue, even though they know deep inside they can't trust the cops because they can't trust the government and cops are the first point of contact your local government makes with its citizens. These people, these low information voters are very confused when it comes to the cops. They're fascists who are afraid of law and order. They're sick. The people who vote for Trump are not only stupid, they're sick. Now, you can tell a lot about a city by the way the cops interact with the citizens, especially the poor citizens and the citizens of color. Cops in America have way too much discretion. Our jails and prisons are human rights nightmares where gangs, drugs, and rape are baked into the punishment. It takes a lot of courage to protest, especially with the discretion that's afforded the cops. All the evidence is in from the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests. Cops do not like to be challenged. Read the studies conducted by the Washington Post and the New York Times. The Black Lives Matter protests were all peaceful until the cops showed up. They were peaceful until the vigilantes, the white vigilantes like Kyle Rittenhouse showed up with his AR-15s and was egged on by the police in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The Black Lives Matter protests were peaceful until the agent provocateurs showed up. Now look, I have had many pleasant run-ins with the police because I look and sound like a lawyer. But I've also been arrested. And as I was being put into the van, I could hear the cop shout at me, it's COVID time. That's what the officer screamed at me as I was getting into the van. It's COVID time. And then I sat in a windowless cell with no ventilation, handcuffed, waiting hours to be read my Miranda rights. 
on a dark and deserted highway in the middle of the night here in America, when a cop pulls you over, you have no rights. You have no rights in jail or prison. Laws are just the lipstick on a decaying system that favors the rich and punishes the poor. Trust me on this. The worse income inequality gets here in America, the more terrifying police officers are going to become. Because when income inequality spirals out of control, what passes for law and order is really just glorified security guards protecting rich people's stuff. We need to get rid of the guns. We need to tax the billionaires out of existence. And we need to enforce our laws by arresting the real crooks, the bankers, the health insurance executives, the hedge fund managers who not only break laws, but they also destroy lives. And they get away with it because they own the police, the IRS, the Justice Department and our courts. Other countries don't live this way. We, as Americans, are indecent. This is an indecent country. We are an indecent people. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Well, one day we will. One day, one day. Are we on? Are we rolling? Yeah, let's roll, David. Professor Mike Steinell author of Saving Charlie Parker, a novel. Go buy the book and then buy the multimedia extravaganza on Audible. It features the song Turtle. It also has the Feldman guarantee. If you buy Saving Charlie Parker, a novel, and it doesn't create a tingle down your leg, I will reimburse you. Or wow. send you to a urologist, either way. <laughs> and you have, uh, we're going to try, I did an update, so we're going to try to play the, the new improved and revised Howie Klein love theme. Can you hear this? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Nice and strong. Yeah, it's okay. nice and strong. All right, so, it's, so we can do it today. Yeah. Okay, we had to drop it. And were you happy with President Trump interrupting Ants in the Kitchen? I thought it was hilarious when he was singing "It's in the Kitchen." Um, I, but you know, sometimes I usually try to put like a little thing on on my Facebook feed about, "Hey, I, check this out," you know. And I I thought twice about that one because um, it, it goes out to a, a. I have a lot of different friends, and I know some of them are Trump fans. Actually, this is an interesting thing. Um, I don't think even if you're a Trump fan. I think you'd be amused by that. Oh, of course. I mean, it kind of, it kind of, and and that thought in my mind. Mm. By the way, people who didn't listen to the last episode, what we played "Ants in the Kitchen," but that it's got this this hook, and and the the uh, the president, the former president, jumps in and starts to sing along with it, and then he talks talking about how my jazz is the, the good kind of jazz, the white jazz. Non-threatening. White people make it jazz. Non-threatening. But anyway, it's hilarious. It's Robert Smigel, who, yeah, by the course. way, is the Will Jordan of Trump impersonators. You know, Will Jordan invented the Ed Sullivan impersonation. Really? Yes. People like Kevin Pollack invented the Christopher Walken <laughs> impersonation. Well, wait, 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 wait. Back up. 
you can't invent a person. Yes, you can. You just, no, not well, really. Yes. I mean, you're just you're just mimicking. It's it's the person you're mimicking. Isn't no, it? no, no. There is always a guy who finds a way in, and then what you have are great impressionists doing Will Jordan's impression of Ed Sullivan, except for John Biner and Jackie Mason, who did their own. Uh, 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 caricatures of Ed Sullivan, but uh, Kevin Pollack. So, so you're saying that you're saying, let me get this right. So you're saying not only are they the best, but they're so good that they become the model because everybody sees the tricks that they do. Yeah. Like Christopher like, Walken. Nobody did Christopher Walken until Kevin Pollack cracked it. And then okay. they found their, and then you find, and, and Robert Smigel, is the original Trump impersonator going all the way back to no the kidding. early nineties? I did not know on, that. On Conan, Smigel oh, was the, she when they did the thing with the with yeah, the mouth. Smigel is like Smigel is like the funniest person in the world. Well, he's hilarious. Yeah, you know. I, but anyway, and he's I, a comedy I, I had, writer. And he's a comedy writer. He's not a really a performer. I did not mind one bit. I thought it was flattering. You know, this abuse. I thought his abuse was flattering, but that's yeah. just me. Hey, yeah. by the way, I got to tell you, I have an idea. Right now, we go and we write ideas for Trump in prison. Mm-hmm. Orange man in Sing Sing. Right. And we, and we put them yeah. in there, put a little bit of detail. We mail them, registered mail to ourselves, and we hold on to them because somebody's going to do that. Well, you do you know Shawshank. It. Redemption with Trump in yeah. prison and Trump and Shawshank, Shawshank right. Trump. Right. And, uh, you know, and then then we, we can say, hey, this we, we can claim that we had the idea first and we could sue. Well, we we the sketch we did three <laughs> weeks ago where Trump describes being in prison and to establish <laughs> letter from the Birmingham jail. Well, no, the one with Smigel where Trump said to establish dominance, he raped himself <laughs> In prison. It's one of the funniest. One of the funniest things we've ever done on this show. So it is hilarious. What we were talking about you. This is I'm putting you on the spot. Okay, spot me. Trump singing with you. Yeah. Would you do that? Oh. You mean when I write a song that he could sing? Would you do a duet with Trump? I would. I would. I mean, I would just write a song and, and I could sing and he could kind of sing. We could trade lyrics. We could do like a, a Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga thing. Yeah. I, I, the thing that like, I wanted. He's, I have a feeling Schmeigel's pretty musical. Oh, yeah. Because that little that little line that he nailed that little line. And then he kind of made fun of it by yeah. not nailing it exactly. Right. <laughs> and exaggerating the error, which was brilliant. It was yeah. so brilliant. Yeah. So I the played I, that from the Rosanna Eckert. <laughs> did she, <laughs> she like it? Fell out. Oh, she loved it. The, see, I was thinking, we were talking, I said, I want to, through music, have Trump, Robert do Trump, and show the tender side of Trump that Ivanka loves. <laughs> Ivanka loves. Okay. You know, like I genuinely believe that the daughter sees a side of Donald Trump 
that forces her to forgive him and the grandkids. And I thought through music, we could really piss people off to show <laughs> Trump having a keen appreciation for jazz, the American songbook, Broadway musicals, and show a, a tender side to Trump through music that would really piss people off. We could write a pair. We could figure out maybe a um, a public domain song. There's a lot, lot of them, you know, uh, that's sentimental. And then we could uh, maybe make up some other kind of uh, words for it. That's a good idea. I'll have to work on that. Well, and, and not really funny so much as just appalling. <laughs> that, that, like, why would you have Donald Trump singing these songs with no joke? Uh, let's do this. We have a Howie Klein theme song. That yeah, you, you want to jump to Jason Call? How are you on time? I can come back. Or do you want to stick around and help me talk to uh, Jason Call? I'll be listening. You want to stay? Why don't you stay with me? Let's play stay the, on the panel. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we? Because excellent. J Jason is running for the second congressional district in Washington. He's endorsed by Howie Klein, and he's running on the Green Party ticket. And Howie, is he running on the Mo Green Party? Not ticket? the Mo Green. <laughs> I just got to say, I, I, I re-listened to episode for people out there. Go to episode thirteen oh nine and hear uh, the Mo Green New Deal. We're going to give it's America hilarious. a shot in the eye. Forget giving America a shot in the arm. <laughs> the Mo Green. But let, let's Hello, Jason. I'm Mike. Uh, let me play the how, the new how we're going to play the new Howie, new Klein, Howie, theme Howie song, Klein song. Yeah. And then we'll bring in the great Jason call. And we're going to raise money for you, Jason. OK, here we go. This is the new Howie Klein love theme. I like that. 
That is the new Howie Klein theme song. Howie Klein is our moral compass on this show. Howie Klein says, vote for Jason Call. I say, we vote for Jason Call. It's just that simple. So Jason Call is a math teacher. For Not anymore. For I, I, 18 I've years. Of, I've been out of public education for, for a number of years, uh, but did high school math teaching for almost 20 years, yes. For almost 20 years. You were a math teacher. You're an atheist. And you, I am. And you ran for Washington's 2nd Congressional District back in 2022. You lost the Democratic primary to the incumbent. And I, I've, I've run twice. I ran in 2020 and 2020, uh, 2022. And you were defeated by Rick Larson, who is serving right now. He's a Democrat. Yes, barely. And we're going to raise money for you tonight. You're running on the Green Party ticket. Yes. So first off, you wrote a guest column over Down with Tyranny, Howie Klein's publication on the web. And it was the most scathing indictment I've heard of the Democratic Party since the 2020 election when we were supporting Bernie here on the show. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it was it was well, really well written. What prompted you to say, I give up the Democratic Party in the state of Washington is never going to uh, support a, a, a leftist like myself. I have to run on the Green Party. Or had you already flirted with the Green Party? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite open about the fact that I voted for Ralph Nader in 96 and 2000. Um, I have considered myself a Green Party member in the past. Um, I switched to being a Democrat from sort of a, a lefty independent green, although sort of never officially within the party, but you know, I always felt that they aligned with my goals, uh, simply because George Bush uh, was so awful. Um, I've, I've been an anti-war protester um, for my entire adult life. I, my first war protest was uh, 1990, the summer of 1990, between my freshman and my sophomore years at the so University right. of Washington protesting desert storm um and you know horrified by the iraq war um and felt like i needed to you know i I think there's a lot of establishment gaslighting that goes on like you know if you're not with the dems you're you're pro-republican and i kind of i kind of bought into that i got into howard dean's campaign howard dean more than anybody in that cycle uh spoke to me um and you know got behind john Kerry. Uh, and, and, uh, and from then on, uh, you know, obviously completely, uh, distraught over the reelection of George Bush, but, you know, I stuck with it through Obama, uh, and then Bernie came along. Um, and I was so enthused about Bernie's candidacy. I, I volunteered like Bernie in 2016, Bernie won the Washington state caucus, uh, 73%. Um, and a lot of that was one, of course, the enthusiasm behind Bernie, but those of us who had worked within the democratic party knew 
uh, how caucuses worked and how to train people on how to be effective in caucuses. And we train people, you know, literally all over our region and all over the state um, to so that they would know people would know how to show up, what to do, how the caucus process worked. Um, and we won every single county in Washington state for Bernie, um, some as high as 90 percent. Uh, and then, of course, we saw what happened in 2020. Um, I was, you know, obviously extremely opposed to Donald Trump. Uh, and enthusiastic again about Bernie's run in 2020. Uh, and, you know, when you when you go through that and you invest, like I think about that was 2015, that was eight years ago um, that Bernie first announced his 2016 run. Uh, and a lot of us have put a ton of time into trying to convince, like in 2016, I got myself elected to the Washington State Democrats Central Committee. You know, that's how willing I was to, like, invest myself in the Democratic Party. I spent four years on the Washington State Democrats Central Committee, uh, rewrote the state Democrats platform in 2018, the most progressive it's ever been, uh, passed a number of resolutions um, that, you know, when you put these things in front of people, gun control, they, we, we, you know, we shouldn't be taking money from, from uh, health care packs. Uh, we should be supporting Medicare for all. And these things pass in that body uh, of Democrats pretty readily. I mean, it, it may be a couple of dissenting votes. Um, but the state committee, what I realized was the state committee itself uh, had no real power uh, in terms of being a progressive organization unless you have, have an actual majority. It's another one of those majority minority things. So when you have an executive board that is fully corporatized, um, the state, unless you have that power within within the state committee, which, you know, it, it takes some time to build that up and you meet a lot of resistance along the way locally. Um, I just I just got frustrated because I see that the leadership of the Democratic Party in the state uh, does not want to be progressive. They want to support uh, whoever the Democrat is in office. Look at what happened in um Washington's third district. Okay, so you've got Marie Glusenkamp Perez, uh, who was on the state committee at the same time that I was on the state committee. Um, you know, a big win, a big one of the big flips in in Congress from Republican to Democrat. She beat out Jamie Herrera Butler, who was the you know eight ten years serving incumbent, um, who was a very lukewarm Republican uh, in in in. Contemporary terms, because she actually voted for Trump's impeachment, and so they end up with a real fascist running there. So the Dems are cheering about getting Marie in there, beating out this fascist. But what does Marie do? She she joins up with Jared Golden and is now a proud blue dog and is voting <coughs> voting to to have people. She wants people to pay back debt that has already been um, student debt that has has already been um, canceled by Joe Biden. I mean, that's that's she, she we ended up with an extremely right wing Democrat who kind of sold herself as a progressive. And I, I just feel like the Democrats are so disingenuous, like their platform can be good. But when it really comes down to it, really? Yeah, I see that in the chat, Linda. Perez is another cinema and very disappointing too. very disappointing. Right. So, so I don't. So here's so here's the deal. Well, let, let, me, do you mind, let me let me ask you a couple of questions here. If you go, don't ahead, mind. go ahead, please. Uh, how do people donate to you? Uh, call for Congress dot com. I've got a donate link on my website. Call I'll for Congress. Call for yeah. Congress 
A-L-L-F-O-R, Congress. For Congress.com. There's, there's just a donate link in the corner. And let me just give me 30 seconds yeah, yeah. We'll, to raise money. For I'm me. sorry. I talk a lot. No, I no, you're just, great. You're great. And there's I, but a I, lot going on. <laughs> I, I want you to come back. But the only way you're going to come back is if I raise money for you. Sure. Uh, Jason Call is endorsed by Howie Klein. That's all you need to know. Go to JasonCallForCongress.com. Let me let me set you straight. I don't ask my listeners for much. Give him $5. Give him $50. Give him $500. If you, tomorrow, go to Starbucks and buy a non-union cup of coffee and give your money to Howard Schultz instead of giving your money to Jason Call, you will burn in hell. And that's the fact. You're going to burn in hell anyway because you listen to my show and there's no such thing as hell. And Jason's an atheist. Ah, but, I love it, though. But in the scheme of things, if you have $5 for a non-union cup of coffee at Starbucks, but not $5 for Jason Call, shame on you. Shame on you. I say this from the, from the bottom of my empty soul. Giving money to Jason Call is a form of prayer. Prayer. Like praying the rosary. Huh? <laughs> it's like praying the rosary. It, it, it is a form of prayer for this country. You need to support Jason Call, and you will feel better. Like, after you pray, you feel better when you give $5 to Jason Call by going to Call for Congress, or is it Jason Call for Congress? Call for Congress. Just call for Congress. Go to callforcongress.com. You will feel better. It will be the five best dollars you spend all month. You're, you're investing in your own well-being by giving him money, regardless of whether or not he wins or loses. Now, let me ask you about the Green Party. Okay. It seems to me that the Green Party has a top-down approach. They run people like Ralph Nader. We've had David Cobb on. He, he ran for yep. president uh, on the Green Party. And they have a great top-down approach. They get a lot of national attention, or at least they used to. But there are only roughly 120, 136 Green Party candidates holding office. It's local which is important, but we're not seeing anybody in the Green Party serving in the House of Representatives. There are no uh, state uh, legislators who got elected as members of the Green Party. You do see the Green Party candidates rising in Canada and Germany. What's going on here in America that we can't get the Green Party elected to any state or federal office? Well, I, I okay, so a couple of reasons. One, I think there's a ton of gaslighting from the Democratic Party. Um, this, this uh, you know, saying that if you, if you don't vote for the Democrats, you are going to cause a Republican win, uh, right. rather than the Democrats just basically owning their, am I allowed to curse here? We get to curse. Sure. Democrats basically owning their garbage uh, and improving themselves. And I think that's what a lot of people see. They're like, you know, it's, it's where I was for a long time. God, am I going to, you know, I mean, nobody wants to see a Republican on office. I can understand that. Um, but there's there's no way 
to uh, get the Democratic Party to be a better party than they are unless you threaten to withhold your vote uh, and maybe even cause them to lose. Um, and I think we're at, a, we're at a point with climate now. I think climate is really the driving issue, uh, having a report released, even in the corporate media now, where they say, look, we're going to hit that 1.5 degrees Celsius uh, uh, point uh, by 2027, where, you know, I mean, two years ago, they're saying, yeah, we got 12 years, we got 15 years, you know, let's figure this thing out. I mean, we are in emergency status right now. And quite frankly, the Democrats have no intention, no intention whatsoever of doing anything about it. Um, so, so what are the uh, tensions within the Green Party? Is there a libertarian strain within the Green Party that kind of works against the socialists? I don't I don't I don't think so. I mean, the, the Green the Green Party is is somewhat of an avowed socialist party. I mean, that's I don't think that there's a really libertarian streak. I think most Greens that I know uh, are believe, and as I do, I believe in the capacity for good government. I don't think we get a whole lot of it, but I believe. But there is a. It seems to me that because the because any party has their fringe elements, that they're libertarian socialists who believe in smaller government, but they're socialists. Yeah, I, I honestly, I really try and stay away from people's like uh, are labeled arguments of I'm a libertarian, but I'm a socialist and and uh, these things can be crossover. Really, for 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 my purposes, what I want is a, a means to get good policy passed. Um, you know, again, and going back to the, the libertarian thing, like no libertarians tend to think that there's no such thing of, uh, as good government, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the more government is, the worse it is. I don't believe that. I, I think that there are appropriate sizes of government for whatever the task at hand is, and the trick is finding what that appropriate size is. You don't want it to be bloated and wasteful. You don't want it to be uh, emasculated and ineffective. Okay, so, because let me ask you, because one of the 10 values of the Green Party is decentralization, taking something that's big and making it smaller, more dependency on grassroots democracy that could be construed as states' rights and a a smaller Washington. Uh, In my estimation, as a borderline socialist, I believe in a a strong state and and a big, powerful federal government that dictates to the states and cities how to behave. And it seems like we're not going to solve the climate crisis without a strong federal government that's going to outlaw fossil fuels. And so, no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I am supportive of a strong federal government. And I think the decentralization part really has to do with the application of democracy um, and making sure that people have the the freedom and the resources to uh, to effectively participate in democracy. I think that's the decentralization part is that we want everybody to effectively be able to participate in democracy uh, with the end of we do need a, a stronger structure, you know, with that, that manages those guiding principles. I, Let so me I, ask I you some questions, uh, some third rail questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Where do you stand on nationalizing certain industries 
like I, I'm, I'm the, for it, but go ahead. Well, why? Yeah, uh, nationalizing the fossil fuel industry, nationalizing healthcare. Yep. Taking taking over industries that uh, aren't working, like airlines. Yep. And Americans are economic illiterates. They they don't understand when when. Obama said, I don't want to nationalize GM. Uh, I don't want to run an auto company. Well, nobody's asking you to run an auto company. Nobody's asking Washington to run an uh, auto company. All I'm asking you is to have a majority stake to own 51% of the stock in GM. Let GM be a, a, a publicly traded corporation. Let the stockholders run it. Let them elect a CEO. But if they want a bailout from the government, we own 51 percent of GM. That doesn't mean we run the auto company. We just have. I, I, I actually have. So there, there are some industries like there are industries that are critical to human survival that we all depend on uh, that I think should fully be nationalized. I think the pharmaceutical industry should be nationalized. I do think we should have something like the NHS where you know, the hospitals are owned by the government and the doctors are paid by the government. And, you know, you want to work in healthcare, you know exactly what you're getting into. Um, and, and I think, uh, uh, I, I, just, I think privatize, there, there was a study that came out by the, uh, done by the Lancet journal. I'm sure, you know, the Lancet, mm-hmm. um, very well-respected journal. Uh, and they tracked, uh, the Tories privatization of the NHS, their attempts at privatization of the NHS to 2013 through 2020, and definitively came up with a correlation, okay, correlation is not causation, but it was pretty strong, that the more services were privatized, the more um, uh, preventable, that's what I'm worried, the, the more preventable mortality increased. So for me right there, there is there's compelling reason uh, that if, if we want a, a healthcare in inch, uh, you know, industry or uh, a sector, say sector, uh, to be functional and true to its purpose, uh, privatization is the worst thing that we can do. Having right. people make money off it is the worst thing that we can do. The same, you know, I mean, you just take insurance as a model. Insurance is an exclusionary product. They want to shed the bad risks and they want to keep the good risks and they don't want to pay out, you know. So, so private the- insurance just simply does not make sense. I think there's, I think, American people, like you say, you know, sometimes economically illiterate, they haven't had that case made to them. And the Democratic Party is never going to make that case to them because the Democratic Party enjoys healthcare money. <laughs> right. You know, so the, yeah. half this country can't come up with a thousand dollars for a medical emergency, which means none of us uh, bothers to invest. Nobody has money to invest. So. Right. You can believe because you're not investing, you it's mysterious and you don't understand how this stuff works and you can be sold a bill of goods. What the American people need to understand is if I'm just, I'm just going to pick a company out of my hat and say Disney, if Disney were nationalized and there'd be no need to nationalize it and you were gifted a stock as a child of Disney, your stock would be better off if the federal government owned 51% of Disney. 
it would it would create a a a, a floor, a bottom for the stock price that it couldn't go. The federal government isn't going to sell off shares of Disney, so it creates a floor price for the stock, and it's going to be it's going to grow as a company because it's going to be monitored uh, by the government and. They're- well, and and I'll say that they don't do, you know, we go to the airline industry, the government, the, the um, FAA does not monitor airlines the way they should because of all of the airline money. And Rick Larson is a perfect example of this. And I, and I can I can tell you right now, well, you're in Boeing uh, well, country. You're, you're, you're Boeing. Well, Boeing is has their largest manufacturing facility in my district. Um, it's actually the largest um, open open building in the world. Uh, is Boeing's manufacturing plant, uh, plant uh, here in Everett. Um, so one of the things that happened, you know, we know in 2018 that um, there were two terrible Boeing 737 MAX scratches. Uh, they may not have gotten a ton of attention over here because they happened in Africa and Malaysia. Um, and we, and <laughs> you know how it goes in America, unless a tragedy happens to white people, um, it's not really a tragedy. Uh, but really what happened that the the crux of those crashes can be directly tied to um, the airline manufacturers Boeing most egregiously push to um, have the FAA give up its oversight power on manufacturer of airline parts now Rick Larson voted for that as as did Congress in general but you know Rick Larson as uh, while he was, while the Democrats had control of the House recently, he was chair of the aviation. And, and since 2012, I believe it was, he was ranking Democrat uh, on the aviation subcommittee. So that's why he gets a ton of money from Boeing and Delta and uh, other <laughs> airline associated businesses, as well as, you know, the war machine, Lockheed Martin and so on. Um, but. There was a there was a uh, organizational design authority was the name of the program, um, which was pushed heavily by Boeing so that they could do oversight on their own part. So you, you take these crashes and what went wrong with these crashes? Basically, you were missing government oversight uh, where it was critical. Um, these airlines got put in the air to where the the training like delta didn't want to do that didn't want to pay for the extra training right like when boeing is selling a product they have to you know these companies will pay for training and boeing said well we will have an easier time selling our product if we don't tell them that we did this thing and then they don't have to train their pilots on it right. and the thing that those pilots didn't get trained on was exactly the thing that when the system went bad and I couldn't explain it to techos, the pilots didn't know what to do because they hadn't been trained on it. And that's exactly you had why to pay extra. Now, you had to pay extra for that training. You had to pay extra for the training. Right. And Boeing said, we'll make an easier sale. Like, cause Boeing's trying to be competitive with other, uh, with Airbus. A lot of it is com- com- competitive, com- competitors with Airbus type of thing, you know, and you know, we will sell a product better, uh, more, uh, you know, quicker and and get more orders if we can take away this old pilots need new training, um, which is exactly what the problem was. Um, Let me ask Professor was, Mike Steinel to join us because yeah. feel free to ask a question. Professor Mike Steinel in Denton, Texas. Uh, what, what do you know about the Green Party in Texas? 
Not a whole lot. I don't know. I don't know much about the Green Party nationally. I work closely with the Washington State Green Party, of course. They're very supportive of my run. Um, And uh, uh, I'm looking to help build Green Party presence here in Washington State. I think one of the things that you were asking me before, David, was, you know, about the Democrats in Washington State. Why would Democrats in Washington State vote for Green? Well, you know, we we have um, some of the most corporate, Rick Larson being one of them, we have some of the most corporate captured uh, Democratic representatives in the entire country. Um, Susan Del Bene, uh, who got elected on Microsoft money, her husband's a Microsoft executive, uh, is now chair of the DCC, uh, C. Um, you got Rick Larson, you got Adam Smith, who is who is chair of House Armed Services. Uh, Rick and Adam are, if you, if you go look at the American Conservative Union, the people who host CPAC. Matt um, Schlapp. They, they, they kind of rank uh, all House members, Democrats included, on how they vote in alignment with what the ACU has of priorities. Now, they don't take a position on everything, but the things that they do take a position on, Rick Larson and Adam Smith are in the top 15 percent of sitting House Democrats in alignment with the ACU. Um, we only have one uh, House member who is supportive of Medicare for all, and that's uh, that's Pramila Jayapal, and she's been, I think she's been a terrible leader for the Progressive Caucus. She uh, has not stood up to the corporatists at all. In fact, the Progressive Caucus, I believe, is a complete joke of a caucus. Um, o- over half the, the members of that caucus are, are complete corporatists. Elon so, Omar, however, is the deputy chair. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, of course, a- a- uh, AOC is in there, Rashid yeah. Tlaib, who I really like, and Cory Bush is in there. But, um, you know, you've got you've got a handful of actual progressives at best in the Progressive Caucus. In fact, when I ran in 2022, I said openly I would not join the Progressive Caucus. But I think that they're, you know, that I I would be over here and I would say I would be the actually progressive caucus. And if you want to be actually progressive, you can come and join me. So but um, I don't know about the strength of the Green Party pretty much anywhere else. Um, And and I agree with you that they're they're not a strong national party. I wish they were. Um, so uh, while I will likely support whoever the Green Party candidate is for president, and I would encourage other people to do so, um, I, you know, it's, I, I think we'll, we will see more success at the local, and I'm hoping in this race at the federal level with this seat. Call I do f- think this person is beatable. Callforcongress.com. Professor Mike Steinel, feel free to chime in. Well, I was just listening, and then also... You have such a great name, Call, and I was looking at Rhyme Zone and trying to write a a uh, a, a song for you. Okay, I'll take a song. So it kind of came wild. up. I kind of came up with something. <laughs> can you hear that? I can. If you want to know the climate has got your back up to the wall. You need to give your money to Jason Call. If you see the polluters and you want to see them curl up in a ball, you need to give your money to Jason Call. Go to the website, callforcongressman.com. His name is Jason, not John or Bill or Tom. It's Dustin. Oh, it's Dustin, is it? 
or Justin or, or Justin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Tom didn't ride with, with com. I had to rhyme with com. Okay. It's time to raise your voice. It's time to walk tall. It's time to give your money to, to Jason call. I'll make a little better version. I'll send it to you. Amazing. Call Thank for you. call for Congress. Yeah, and, and on and on that note, we are we are actually pretty close to having to do an FEC filing. Um, so I, I imagine that we will be in a position where we where we have to do, make that report at the end of June. So let's uh, get so you we some money. We, we we're gonna. Yeah. This is important that people. If you have five dollars. Give it to Jason. Call. Go to callforcongress.com. Sing the website, Professor Mike Steinell. Uh, callforcongress.com. <laughs> okay, what did I do it in? Go to the website for congressman. No, callforcongressman.com. No, callforcongress.com. Oh, callforcongress.com. No, yeah, callforcongress.com. His name is Jason, not John or Bill or Tom. Fantastic. Let me ask you, how are you on time, Jason? Do you answer some questions? I'm good. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine to continue talking. Okay. So I, there's somebody, somebody in the chat in the Q&A had asked about the district itself. The yes, the topography. That's good. Can I, can I give it just a minute That's on that? Tom. So, so we have uh, King County is where Seattle is. And my district starts at the Kings-Nahomish border, the, uh, the, horizontal line um, separating uh, King County from Snohomish County, and I live in Snohomish County. Uh, so it's the, um, if you take the I-5, just thinking about I-5 that runs, you know, all the way from LA all the way up to the Canadian border, uh, but everything to the west of that, so bordering the Puget Sound uh, is the second district. Um, and then once you get to, that's through Snohomish County, uh, and once you get to Skagit and Whatcom County, it's the entirety of Skagit and Whatcom County north of there. So uh, with a lot of rural area up there, in fact, if people didn't know, uh, over uh, something like 80% of the raspberries that are grown, that you eat in, in the stores, are grown in Whatcom County. Um, and uh, I think over 50% of the blueberries, very, uh, very heavy berry season there. Um and uh, then we have the islands in the Puget Sound. So Whidbey Island, where we've got two naval stations. Uh, actually, no, there's one naval station. The other one, we've got two naval stations in the district. Uh, so, you know, that's where we get a lot of military money here. I mean, Seattle on the West Coast and Puget Sound region is mm -hmm. you know, strategically uh, for the military. It's a, it's a high priority. So we've got a nuclear submarine base here on Whidbey Island. Whidbey Island, by the way, is the fourth largest island um, in the United States after, um, uh, the biggest one is the one in, in Lake Superior, I think it is. And I forget what it's called. And then there's South Padre Island off of Texas. And then there's Long Island in New York. And then there's Whidbey Island in Washington. Up and then we have the San Juan Islands, um, which are a small grouping of islands. Um, you know, probably 25,000 people live there or so. Uh, and that's it. We've got five counties. Um, you know, uh, Fishing is important to our area. Are the, are the San Juans in your, in your district? San Juans are in my district. Yep. San Juans are part of my district. I, I Wow, that's, that's beautiful. Like Washington State Ferries, the ferry system operates 
mostly like there's some ferries down on the South Sound, Seattle um, and uh, Bremerton area going over to Bremerton where there's another naval base. Um, but I'd say probably 65% of the ferry traffic in Puget Sound um, going over to the peninsula and back and across the islands uh, is, is in my district. Okay. Ian from Australia. Go ahead, Professor Mike. You had a question. I would say I've been to Victoria Island a number of times. Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island, Victoria. Yeah. Where's the Empress Hotel? Does that ferry ferry leave from your uh, district? Sure does. Oh, God, that's that's beautiful country up there. I played golf up there. It's amazing. I've been up to Victoria a number of times. It really is beautiful. Where's the Empress Hotel? I love that area. Say again? The Empress Hotel. That's that's in Victoria. The Empress Hotel is in Victoria. High yeah, tea at the Empress. Been, I've done it. High tea. I, 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 nice. I, yeah. I've played up there and I've thought, one of these days I'm going to have high tea at the Empress Hotel. And uh, this is uh, uh, Ian from uh, Australia asks if a foreigner can donate to a U.S. Foreigners policy. If you're Russian, no, wait, if you're a Russian, you can give as much as you want to a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you can do is encourage your United States citizen friends to donate in your name or something like that. I don't think we should touch that. I think, yeah, I I think if you have a green card, you can give to the Green Party. I think there's... I don't think think it works that way. I I think if you're... I think if you... I think if you have a green card, don't... But I don't want to get anybody into trouble. So no, if, I would I would play it safe by the FEC. Yeah, I really would. If you're a foreigner, Sorry. stay out of our elections. <laughs> <laughs> stay out. Uh, and th- this is from Mary. Uh, both M.W. I guess Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. And RFK Jr. are people who can't be naive about how the Democratic Party rolls. They know right. that the primaries are rigged against any anti-establishment candidate. So what are they really trying to do with their campaigns? And is there a possibility Marianne Williamson ends up running as an indie? That's from Mary. Well, this is an interesting question because you may or may not know I was actually on staff with Marianne Williamson's campaign until just uh, recently. Are you one uh, of the two that quit? I am one of the two that quit, and I'm under an NDA, so I really cannot talk about the reasons behind that. But I will say both Peter Dow and I uh, are encouraging Marianne to uh, do an independent run. Um, there's, I don't think that there's any way, uh, and we, we're, we're encouraging that of, of RFK also. Um, I think the, well, first of all, the Democratic Party, you know, as we know, it's a private organization. They don't they don't have to hold debates. They're not going to hold a debate. Um, I think that Marianne would destroy Joe Biden in a debate. I think there are reasons that the Democratic Party uh, absolutely will not put Biden in front of people. Um, but uh, they're not going to they're not going to do it. And if you can't do it, and if you can't get in front of people the way you need to, um, at, at least you can uh, leverage the base that you do have and, and maybe bring in, and I'll, and I'll tell you, you know, my, my thoughts about running as a green, like, you know, I've had people in the democratic party here locally say, well, what do you hope to accomplish by running as a green? I said, well, first of all, we know, we know a, a, um, uh, 
Uh, a Republican's not going to win this seat because it's not it's not a blue district. I mean, it's not there are very few, as you know, actual real swing districts in the country. This is not one of them. Um, so so, you know, there's and, and we're a top two primary state. So what what are your what are your options here? Your options are you going to get me and Rick on the ballot. I think I can beat Rick if I get on the ballot next and force him into debates. Um, I think the district is ostensibly progressive and would vote Rick out in favor of me because they know I'm going to fight for their policies. Um, or you're going to get Rick and a Republican and the Republican is, you know, going to lose to Rick or it's going to be me and a Republican, which is, you know, unlikely, but I would be the Republican in this district. So there's no, you know, if you're looking to just maintain the status quo or hopefully get substantially more progressive, you know, I, I, it makes no sense not to support my candidacy, uh, because that's, you know, you're, you're not going to lose this district to a Republican. I think a lot of people simply don't understand how primaries work and the Democratic Party is quite okay to leave that ignorance hanging out there right you know um but so for, let me, let for me ask you let me ask you, know, you going back, go, go ahead yeah yeah uh look i voted for bernie mm-hmm. it, and i hated biden but i'm i'm a coward so i voted for biden in the general mm-hmm. i'm disgusted by the democratic party but I voted for Biden and I will. And Biden's vote. doing as terrible as job, uh, maybe even, you know, some people think he's doing better. I think, you know, he's doing exactly as terrible job as, as we expected him to do. Um, but go ahead. Sorry. So is this the way the Democratic <laughs> Party works? And again, I'm a Democrat. Uh, you know, I, I believe in fighting within, but I support you in the Green Party. Um. The military industrial complex learned but that. Can it, I ask you a question, David? Yeah, I'm a coward. I'm a coward. Do you think the Democratic Party is going to solve any of the problems that faces? Do you think the Democratic Party is the party to, to, to handle climate change the way it needs to? Well, let me ask this question of you. Okay. The military industrial complex learned that if you can keep Americans terrified, they will pay whatever it takes, even if these weapons don't even exist. And will just just give, make me feel safe. And we don't even know if these weapons work and we can't even audit the military industrial complex. We can't. Did the Democrats learn the same lesson that your friends at Boeing learned that if you keep the American people scared, if you keep the Democratic Party terrified, they will eat excrement. They will they will vote for human excrement as long as they're scared. In other words, the the threat of default. This benefits the worse the Republican Party gets the better it is for the Democrats, right? That's typically the way it has gone because, you know, I, I actually said this um, uh, in, a, in a post. I don't know if you saw that Rick Scott in Florida had made this uh, post, and it was kind of a joke post, but it was basically like... About socialists? Welcome, you know, you saw that one. So, you know, and that stuff really does benefit the Democrats because the Democrats look at that and they say, look, you know, uh, we may be bad, but... You know, we're not this bad. Uh, and really, we only need to be 
slightly less bad than this jackass over here, uh, and we can get people to vote for us. Now, that doesn't work everywhere, but it works in Washington state. My goal, um, when you talk about um, uh, what puts fear into people, now, I, I want to, I, I kind of want to say this as a, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, um, but also not. Personally, I am absolutely terrified by the climate crisis. You know, I I see it happening here in my own district. Uh, my district has more coastline than most districts in the country. We stand to be impacted more than most districts in the country in terms of rising tides. You know, that's just a fact. Um, but with the reports that are coming out, the melting of the glaciers, the warming, the warming of the north, the reports on the warming of the North Atlantic right now, it's like off the charts. Um, you know, I want to make people more scared of climate change because I think they have to be than they are of, you know, these false threats about China. And I mean, listen, China does not want to go to war with the U.S. Why would anyone want to go to war with the U.S.? We could destroy the world ourselves a hundred times over. Why would anybody want to? Well, that's not that's that's that not really that's not really true. Right. We don't win our but, war. We don't win wars. No, we don't win wars. We just keep them on going. Um, right. But I mean, if China, but, inv- but if China invades Taiwan, it's hand to hand combat. And with all due respect to our military, uh, you can't win a war from above. You got to go on the ground, door to door. And, you know, we don't win those things. Well, nor, uh, you know, can I say this publicly, nor nor should that be, you know, this I, I think I think that there are bigger issues on our plate and the bigger issue on our plate rather than worrying about China and Taiwan. Um, and not that I don't take uh, interest in geopolitics and, you know, uh, and want global stability. But the thing that is going to cause more global instability than anything right now is the climate crisis. And it affects everybody, rich and poor, um, and it is going to affect people in our district. And of course, we know it affects. The well, you, do South. you have climate oh, refugees? Do you have climate refugees from the fires? Um, well, we do. We have had I mean, we had a lot of wildfires in our state, like back in 2018. It has not been terrible this season. Um, but yet, I mean, yet uh, since 2018, which is the worst, it hasn't been. You know, we, we do get we get days where the smoke comes over the western Washington and we know that the fires are there. Uh, we haven't had a terrible refugee situation in California. They do. Sure. Well, they got a lot more people in California who are affected by the fires than we do. Like in eastern Washington, it's really a lot of small towns. Um, you know, so when you're talking about a town gets smoked out, you're, you're talking about, you know, 500, 1,000, maybe 2,000 people. So it would be not- a curious when you get elected. It would be an interesting study to make, I guess, in California, how many homeless are veterans and how many are People who got burnt out, their their towns were destroyed because there's no place for them. Yeah, there's no place. Well, you know, it's there's also no place for people in East Palestine to go. There's also no place in people where for people in Kalamazoo to go. Um, You know, there's 
the, we have we do a we do an absolutely terrible job with social services and helping people in times of disaster uh, in this country, considering the you know the wealth and the resources that we could potentially expend on making sure that people are are safe. What what we're what we we're looking at at the border because I've been saying this all night. How we treat foreigners, we eventually treat ourselves. Oh yeah, and oh, yeah. we're we're we already have climate catastrophe refugees. So the, the, there is there are some evil people who who view climate catastrophe and refugees as an opportunity for profit detention centers. If, God forbid, something like Katrina happens again and you have a large swath of African-Americans who have to leave the fourth ward of Louisiana, where are they going to go? They, 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 they were put in the Astrodome in Houston. Uh, as things get worse and there are American refugees from urban areas, there's going to be a lot of money to be made putting them in tent cities, for-profit tent cities. This is yeah, what the Republicans... They can't wait. They can't wait. Yeah, well, and and just but just remember the same people who are fu- who are funding the Republicans are funding the Democrats, which is why I don't trust the Democrats on these issues either. I mean, Biden has been just as bad uh, on border issues uh, as as Trump ever was. You know, so we we did not. You know, it was a complete wash as far as the immigration issue goes uh, with Joe Biden. Um, but let's talk about climate. You know, where we're going to be in a when a in a few years with climate. I, you've probably seen what's happening in Southeast Asia right now, India all the way through Vietnam with temperatures off the charts as of even a month or so ago. Um, and we're going to, we're probably going to see massive crop failures this year. You know, uh, I mean, that's the way things are trending. So what, what happens when you have a, you know, a billion and a half people in India who are, uh, who are basically cooked out of their own subconscious. These are investment. I live in Manhattan and I, I, guarantee you within one square mile of me, there are about a thousand pigs who see it all as investment opportunities, just moving capital out of India, moving. These are all just, you know, David, the books on this were written by Greg Palast and Naomi Klein 15, 20 years ago, the shock doctrine and, um, uh, uh, Best money. Made a book called Vulture, Vulture Capitalism. He called right. it Vulture Capitalism. Uh, Naomi called it Disaster Capitalism. I mean, we've we've known we've known about this. We've we've been used to seeing American corporations uh, take advantage of disasters uh, in other countries, and it wasn't until uh, Katrina and Hurricane Sandy um, and and other disasters here that we really started seeing people start to profit in America. It's just, it's just like you said, you know, you see these things at the border. We see how we treat people at the border. We are we are absolutely just uh, just pawns to be to have, uh, you know, profit squeezed out of we, whether it's our labor or, you know, our desperation. Yeah. Call for Congress dot com. I'm going to give uh, Professor Mike Steinel the last question. The reason we're in such bad shape is these kind of conversations don't exist on the public airwaves. So the American people have, unfortunately, been made ignorant. 
And it's not their fault. The public airwaves are owned by the corporations. You know, the PBS, PBS, uh, NPR started laying people off because their ad revenue is down. And I thought, what, what, the NPR's ad revenue is down? Isn't NPR supposed to be commercial free? All those corporate... call it National Petroleum Radio. Yeah. (laughs) And they, they... I guess it's since the Powell memo, they figured out a way to to stupefy an entire nation. It's terrifying how, including me, how ill-informed I am. And at the end of the day, when I'm exhausted, I'd rather just zone out and watch an old madman, Mad Men or an old Sopranos, than read David Dian over at the American Prospect which everybody should be doing. Uh, Professor Mike Steinel? What's the union climate in your district like? Uh, We have strong unions here. You know, I was a a high school teacher for almost uh, 20 years, and the the teacher's union is the largest union. God bless you. You know, I was on the board of my union for three years, uh, was a building rep almost my entire career. Union activist took part in all of the, you know, the actions uh, over over the years down at the state capitol. Testified in front of the state legislature. I mean, that was that's been my thing. Um, but uh, we have we have good labor unions here. The problem with the labor unions is uh, they will they will vote for the Democrats. Uh, just you know they. Here's the thing, and I want to say this about other progressive organizations, too, because the Sierra Club endorsed Rick Larson in 2022 as shameful, absolutely shameful. The League of Conservation Voters endorsed Rick Larson. The unions will endorse Rick Larson. It has nothing to do with whether Rick Larson supports their positions or not. Anybody, I mean, the Sierra Club has just been absolutely, uh, you know, it's mystifying to me. Uh, why they wouldn't choose somebody who has an openly pro. I was a Green New Deal champion. There was uh, an organization um, that the Sierra Club was even a part of that that uh, identified good candidates on climate, and they still didn't endorse me. So it has nothing to do with positions. It has to do with access. And And what you find out about politicians is that they are so terribly vindictive that if they, if the unions and these progressive organizations don't endorse the strength of the candidate who's already there, like I'm here and and you know I I then I will turn my basically is I'll turn my back on you, you know. So a progressive trying to come in and get endorsed, you know, they weigh the odds of a progressive winning, right? And they say, well, we're not going to back the guy who actually supports our position because chances are he's not going to win anyway. And then we will have to contend in the next two years or however many years going forward with the fact that this guy is not even going to give us the time of day because we endorse somebody against him. That is corruption in politics. Um, it is. I understand it's the way things work. But so unions should be endorsing me because I'm 100 percent pro labor. Climate organizations should be endorsing me because I'm 100 percent pro dealing with the climate emergency right now. None of them are going to endorse me because they all want access to whoever is going to be in office. That, and that's just the way it works. Sure, that's, that makes sense. 
Any other questions? It's a sense? sad sense. Okay, so uh, United Farm Workers, are they active in your, because they you have a lot are. of agriculture? Yes, United Farm Workers are active here. In fact, if there's any union that um, has been supportive of me, not in terms of an endorsement, but I know their leadership, um, their leadership as individuals within the Demo local Democratic parties, because when you're a Democrat, you got to go up and out of the district and get all these endorsements. Leadership of the United Farm Workers as an individual, not on behalf of the um, organization, did vote for my uh, endorsement over. That's great to hear. That's Caesar, Caesar yeah. Chavez. So we can count on individuals. We can't count on organizations. Caesar, gotcha. Caesar Chavez's granddaughter is running Biden's presidential campaign. Yeah, isn't that isn't that a, a treat? <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, so I want you to come back on the show. I'm looking. I'm looking at the chat room, and you're loved here. And I know once this goes out, as in as a podcast, my listeners are going to want you to come back. But you got to pay for Jason Call. He's not going to. He's not going to come I back. Point out, I want to point. I want to point out one thing on my website that I wish all progressive candidates would do, and that is the deep dive research onto uh, the incumbent. Um, and so if you go to my website, callforcongress.com, and you go to the Rick's Receipts tab, we have done the deepest dive that anybody has ever done on a congressperson's career from since he got elected in 2000, the same year George Bush got elected, uh, all the way to the 2022 election. We haven't done this last couple of years in Congress uh, in terms of his voting record, but you can see all the money he's taken, uh, all the times he votes against the Democratic Party. Um, like so, when uh, if I can just reference the 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 banking failure, the recent Silicon Valley banking failure, and a lot of people are a bit blaming that on deregulation that took place in 2018, where 33 Democrats voted along with the Republicans to uh, further right. deregulate banks, you know, leading to this crisis. Well, Rick was one of those 33 Democrats. And so I make the joke that uh, anytime you hear 33 vote Democrats voted with the Republicans, you can be you can rest assured that Rick Larson was one of those. He breaks with the Democrats very often, hence his high rating for the American Conservative Union, because he ends up voting with their positions. Uh, I won't I won't say more often than not, but more than most Democrats. Um, so Rick isn't even a good Democrat. But if you go to Rick's receipts, you can see where he gets his money. You can see the votes that he's made almost in return. They say, well, you you know, we wouldn't be as corrupt as to just take some money and then go ahead and vote for this particular thing. Oh, yes, they would. They try to say that they wouldn't, but oh, yes, they would. <laughs> oh, yes, they right. would. He's taken money from Norfolk Southern. Um, so you can you can see it all. And I really, really wish the progressive candidates would use what I have on my website as a model of how to go after these terrible, terrible Democrats. Right. So Ian, my friend in Australia, Ian, very persistent. He wants to know if he's allowed to provide hospitality to Jason. Uh, you mean if I were to come to Australia? Well, no, I think it's a Harlan. He's you have to be a billionaire like Harlan Crow to. No, I, you know, I do. I, I appreciate it so much, but I pride myself on my integrity. Um, unlike Rick Larson, who will sell his mother for a dollar, <laughs> you know. So you don't um, want to you don't want to. you don't want uh, Ian to provide uh, first class accommodations to you and your wife, Ginny, 
Thomas. I think that that would look. I think that that would look very, very bad. Although if we end up in Australia, I would love to come and say hi, <laughs> <laughs> and you could take me golfing or something. I don't know. I don't golf. Okay, um, let me let me but, just tell my listeners. You, my listeners are political. If you say you're not political, that's political. If you choose to spend $5 on a non-union cup of coffee at Starbucks instead of giving a Jason call, that's political. You, you've made a choice. You're saying, I support Howard Schultz's union-busting Starbucks. I'm going to buy a cup of coffee that uses child labor in Guatemala. I'm going to drink coffee that has beans that are picked by 14-year-old Guatemalan kids. I have $5 for Starbucks, but not Jason Call. That's a political decision. And when Judgment Day comes, you will have to atone for your sins. And I can assure you that every good book, and I've read them all, including Portnoy's Complaint, every good book insists that you will burn in hell for eternity if you do not give Jason Call $5. If you tomorrow morning choose Starbucks over Jason Call, you will burn for eternity in hell. Go to callforcongress.com. It is the only way to salvation. It is the only way it is the only way to make it into the kingdom of heaven. I promise you. And if you are local to me and you would like to sign up to volunteer, we are uh, we are taking uh, volunteers seriously. Uh, we do want to get some work done this summer. Right. And you're an atheist, right? I am an atheist. So am yeah. I. So am I. And I'm, I'm, I'm warning my fellow atheists, if you... Do not give this man money. You will burn in atheist hell. Thank you, Jason Call. Please come back. Thanks, David. And Thank you. Professor Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for the tunes. I love to hear that. I can't I can't wait to hear the revised version. Uh, appreciate everybody in the chat and all the support. Thank you so much. Um, come yeah, let let me know. Be in touch. Come uh, back. It's been a pleasure. Thank come you. Come back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Professor Mike Steinel, could you have a little more time to talk? Yeah, I got stuff to thank, talk about. Th yeah, thank you. I, I This is like old times, you know, we're um, yeah, doing six a hour show. balancing act and <laughs> pissing people off and <laughs> asking, running late, running late. And who, who can who will? Who oh, can, I love it, David. Yeah. And, and I listened to the whole show today. I was out running some errands, but I had, the, you know, you remind people that. It works really good on the phone. The Zoom. I just put it, you know, I was running errands and I was just. Oh, the, the, on my the phone. live taping you watch on Zoom. Yeah. The, yeah. You send me the, the invite. And if I can't get on the computer, I just click that little thing for the. And, and it sa it always says, put your um, put your ID in now and you don't have to. It goes. Boop, boop. It does it. Right. You are now being uh, you. Uh, you are being admitted as a. Uh, whatever, uh, an observer, you will not, you will be muted during the program, which now is let me, me. Let me ask you a question. The Reverend yes, Barry sir. W. Lynn 
said he would set up a religion for me. You can run the, the you can run the, the choir. I w- I want to be the choir master. The choir master, and yeah, sure. And I think I think in about a year, when I've just given up on life, <laughs> I I think I could charge for imprecatory prayers, like just just have a prayer line and pray. For, you know, for 50 bucks, I'll pray for bad things to happen to your enemies. I think I could sell prayers. What do you think? Just for money. I, I, just it's for just money. so crazy in my work. I think it's so crazy I in think, my work. I, I think I'd be really. How long do you think it, uh, at what point will Trump get religion? I think that's the next thing. He yeah. Will, he'll get religion. You're right. That's the that's that's the next step. Well, he already is a religion. He doesn't pay taxes. <laughs> oh man, um, what did you yeah, want to pretty... talk about today? And by the way, thank you for helping out on the interview. Well, I don't know if I helped much. I just listened. I was very. I I didn't mean to be rude. I was looking over here, really trying to. You know, I use rhyme zone. I was on this computer over here, trying to rhyme. Uh, by the way, I sent you a closing tune. Oh, because okay. we played the Howie Klein. So. I know it's always good to have a, a closer, and it fits right into what Jason was talking about. It's USA of distraction. Oh, I, know I love it's, that. It's 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 we did it fairly recently. Oh, by the way, I'm on that other podcast. They're they're playing my music. I talked about it. The Tony Kornheiser. Yeah. So I'm I'm you know, but I I don't want to deluge them with music the way I do with you. You know, I send something every week, something new or something old. So I'm kind of like, like you're, you're the girl I'm dating, you know, mm-hmm, who's in love you. with me. Right. And, and I, yeah, I just know that, I just know that I can, you know, we can, but there's Tony Corn, the corner, he's the cheerleader. Or, he's or, the like cheerleader. You know, he's the, the quarterback of the high school. <laughs> okay. No, she, he's the cheerleader. She's, he's the cheerleader that I'm interested in, but I know that if I, if I, if I go if I show too much interest, that'll turn it off, you know? Right. So I have to play coy. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm going to send USA of, of distraction to him next. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. That I good? mean, you know, I'll just put out in the back seat of your father's. I don't know. Yeah. You're, you're easy. I just, <laughs> whatever you want, just like me. <laughs> I'm not yeah. Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> now it's I'm starting pretty, to hate him. <laughs> Well, you should. No, it's it's a really good. Uh, he's got a good format. He does he he does emails. You should maybe consider doing more, reading your fan emails. You know, well, and, I, and encourage more, them. more writing for me to do. <laughs> I have. I don't you think I write enough? Now I gotta <laughs> read fake emails. There actually there actually is. Uh, a backlog of emails that I thought of. Yeah. And and if you started reading them, you would even get more and you could, you need to probably have a staff that goes through them and say, here's the funniest ones. Here's the most interesting ones. Right. You know, well, well, Um, uh, I will not volunteer to do that. Liam McEnany and I used to do. do I know. And that was one of the high points. You actually read my email. Really? Yeah. yeah, one time it was one of the first things I ever wrote to you, and I, you were reading the emails, and I wrote about whether I should uh, sell my Hummel collection so I could buy a or so I could purchase a steam-driven dildo. <laughs> you remember that one? Yes. 
<laughs> and you were actually, I remember where I was. I was in El Dorado, Kansas, and I'm listening to this show. And you read my email. It was like, oh, my God. And Liam must this have is, been merciless on you. Yeah, he was pretty funny. I should bring yeah. him on to do listener. Well, what happened is Liam and I used to read the emails and then COVID hit. And so we just had the listeners come to Zoom and we we met yeah, everybody. Yeah, you had office hours. That's we, how office hours started. Yeah. yeah. And so we just stopped reading the emails. Uh Given what happened with some members of office hours, maybe I should have kept it that way. There's a <laughs> little mute. Well, listen, you know, here's the thing. I think the new format is good. But one thing I've noticed is that I have to be careful about ref. I listen to the show ahead of me. And back in the old days, you would run the whole show. So I would reference something like that that uh, Barry Lynn, Reverend Barry Lynn might say, you know, and or something that Dr. Fraud might say. Right. And we take off on that. But see, now I, I, I was listening. I don't mind that. I don't think that's a problem. People know that we're cutting up the, okay. the, the shows. And but I do want to mention once again, episode one, three, oh, nine, where we have the, the Mo Green New Deal. That's a really good episode. There's, I can't because we did know your Dewey's. Remember that we did know your Dewey's. What's know your Dewey's? Well, there, the, you held up the week before the thing, Dewey, you know, um, Dewey wins, Trump and hold, Trump, Truman holding up the, the headline, uh, Dewey wins, you know, and he didn't win, you know, John Dewey. And then there was a little bit of a discussion. Well, did he do the Dewey Decimal System? So you were so confused. The next week I brought in the four Deweys, which is. Oh, Admiral uh, Dewey. George Dewey, the Admiral. Huey, Dewey and Louie. No, 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 no. Come on. Get serious. You can do it. John Dewey. The, the, Dewey, the, Decimal si the Dewey Decimal System is not the same thing as the... That's Melville Dewey. And he was a complete piece of trash. <laughs> he, he had uh, he was the, the librarian for uh, Columbia University. I think you know a little something about that school. Um, and, and he had, when his assistants, the female assistants applied for a job with him, he had them submit a picture and also uh he wanted to know their bust size you know and that's when you got to do it there's a joke about well he was in the stacks <laughs> we got into a, well you got into a joke about being who, who, stacked who, who made that joke you did melville really? dewey melville of course you dewey. make all the jokes you oh. your mind is like a, just a freight train running running loose through humor but the fourth guy was who ran now who ran for president then um What's that first oh, do uh, from New York State? Yeah. The prosecutor. Yeah. In, in f he ran against Truman in 48. Yeah. And he helped get Eisenhower elected. What was his name? John Dewey. Oh. No, John Dewey was the uh, educator. He had a mustache, Dewey. The, the yeah. candidate, yeah. Dewey. Yeah. And that's probably why. It's not win. Huey Dewey. I'm thinking of Huey Long. Hey, by the way. Today, you I think was a working. guy named Dewey got teased in school with the last uh, name, last Dewey? name or the first name? Yeah, first name. Dewey. Dewey. Yeah. Uh, D Dave, I worked all day on the new novel and I reached a point. I broke through on something and it, it had been stopping me for a long time. You know, I had I mentioned a while back that I got this new novel, um, Murder at Birdland, which is going to be 
time travel like Charlie, like, like saving Charlie Parker, but with a different twist. And uh, and I went to I did a couple of book clubs about saving Charlie Parker. And one was with uh, this book club of all these women. And I brought up the fact that I was working on a new book and that my wife thought I should put a love interest in it. And they all went, yeah, yeah, love interest. So then there was a discussion about how we could, you know, how could, how that could work. They actually gave me some ideas, but um, I went in order to, this guy is, I had him at 70 years old going back in 20,000, 2019 to 1949. And he was going to meet a young girl and they were going to fall in love. And I thought 70, 25, no, that's, that's, that's creepy. So I went with 50. So he's going back. So I had to go back and rewrite everything to fit into the fact that he comes from the present, which is right after 9-11. And he goes to 1949. So he's 50 because he's been born in 1950. And he meets this girl, 25. So anyway, so I worked that all out. But today I got to the love scene. I've been building up to this love scene. And I wrote this love scene, not a sex scene, but it's a love scene. And I think it's pretty, it's sweet. I think it's pretty sweet. And then, then after that, just, uh, it just started, you know, I did, I bet you I wrote 10,000 words today. Wow. You know, I'm up to 70,000 words on this novel. I did the count. And it's, I still got the last third, you know, I met that. You know how screenplays should be in thirds. Mm-hmm. You know, you you bring in like you have some some resolution, and then you bring in a new little bit of tension, right? At the first third, and then you go through, it and that's resolved, and then you bring in some new. T- so I met the where the te- really incredible tension, um, and and I wanted to ask you about something about that. He's been drug in to a police station, um, and he's and then that's gonna then there'll be one third left. The police station I have him being dragged into is the 18th precinct, Midtown. This is this is in Manhattan, uh, Midtown North. You know that area, 52nd Street, 54th, 8th Avenue, 9th Avenue. That would be, you know, I. I I'm did you do some? Did were you ever incarcerated in the 18th precinct? Um. I'm not at liberty to talk about that. <laughs> We're coming up on a year on my arrest. But that was in Washington, D.C. Right, but I, I'm not, uh, not allowed to talk about my criminal behavior. So I've got him in this precinct, and, and the, the, the FBI is involved now and everything. So it's, it's, it's been a very productive day in terms of the writing, you know. Yeah. Have you ever so, been arrested? Almost. I was almost arrested. We were in a band. We were touring in Nebraska. And we had underage. I was of age. But we had a guy, the trombone player was still in high school. And we bought beer. And I don't know if I should tell the story. I guess I should. But um, we were hauled in. And taken to the police station, and they were gonna, they were gonna put us in the cell, and we kept saying we we need to make a phone call. We need to call the manager at the hotel. The ma- our manager was traveling with us, and he was at the hotel, and he had money from the gig we just played, 
so he could bail us out. And um, so we need to make a phone call. So the guy's sitting there and we got down to like, we were taking off our shoes and our belt. We had done that, you know, cause we didn't want to hang ourselves. And this if I took this, my shoes off, it would be more lethal <laughs> than hanging myself. There'd be less oxygen going to my brain if I took my shoes off. So we were really scared. And we kept saying, we need to, we can't, don't we get a phone call? And he says, sure. And he picks up the phone and he says, it's not working. And I said, well, then we need to, we, we need to, it's not right. We need to make a phone call. He yanks it out of the wall and shoves it in our face. Here, you want to make a phone call now? He actually yanked it out of the wall. Well, wow. And then something happened, something cooled down. And he said, okay, we'll take you by the hotel. So we, he took us to the hotel. The manager came, paid the, paid the, the bail. And um, we, the very next morning, we got up really early. We went to the courthouse to the, uh, the, the city attorney's office. And he was a young guy. And he was... Oh, yeah, you're in the band? What band? Oh, yeah, I know that band. Yeah, you guys are cool. And he gets on the phone and calls the sheriff and says, you know, what are you guys doing down there? He he basically said, you're, you did a stupid thing. Right. And, you know, this is dumb, you know. Um, you And they impounded the car, too. And um, he got us off. He said, oh, you can pick up your car and you're, and you're free to go. And I said, do we owe you anything? Uh, he said, absolutely not. He was just like, you know, a level-headed guy. And, and we were all hippied out and everything. And he wasn't. But I'm sure like inside he was. And 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 what? There was an echo there for a second. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did it stop? I think it stopped. Am I on the right microphone? I don't know. It stopped. Okay. Yeah. You know, we have but to. But anyway, I was, I was almost arrested there. Well. That's the closest I've ever come. Yeah. If you're a, a person of color in America, you know something that white people don't know. And that is. Which is? It's a lawless. There are no laws. It, it's whatever the cop decides. And you can spend, once you're in custody, there's very little that a cop can do, uh, that can't do. A cop can get away with anything he wants to do to you here in America. And, and my limited exposure to our carceral system, I don't I, a night in jail isn't really, but uh, you don't want to get arrested in America. Yeah. You don't. Uh, nope. It's not worth it. Uh, spending I agree. A, spending a night in an American jail is a nightmare. I remember being handcuffed, put in a van, and somebody wearing a badge said, it's COVID time. What did that mean? It meant it's not going to be fun. It's pretty amazing for a white man like me, who uh, the, the best thing that ever happened to me 
was being forced to spend a night in jail. And I went, okay, now I get it. I deserved yeah. it. I mean, I really did. I did like it was the best thing that ever. I went, okay, I'm white. I get it. And uh, I suspect to get out, I would have said, I would have turned, uh, Mike Steinell did it. Just to, to see, to get fresh air and not have the walls closing in on me, I would say. You would have confessed to anything? I would have named names. I would have made whatever you want. Just get me out of here. Just if, you, if I can get some fresh air, what do you want? I'll say it. And I, this was like, this was, you know, for, I was arrested for no reason. And, and I had, like in the back of my mind, I knew I wasn't in trouble. But I thought of I thought of. But people. you never know what's going to happen. Right. And you never I, know what's going to happen. Uh, so you've never been to the 18th precinct. Did you do. You, I was trying to describe in the book, you know, the, I go on uh, Google Maps and you can drop yourself down. And I'm looking at this. I think it was probably this building looks like it was around in 1949. Yeah. So I'm trying to be as accurate as I can, you know, and uh, I have a scene in the interrogation room and the FBI comes in. You know, one of the trick. Um, oh, so this guy's going to be accused of being in the crime family, the Costellos. And so I've used his father is Anthony Costello. And and, uh, and I made them a relative of the Frank Costello. You've heard of Frank Costello? Sure. Hey, Abbott. He, no, no, that was Lou Costello. Oh, okay. Frank Costello was for Lucky Luciano. This is so fascinating to me. Like he was he was a consigliere for Lucky Luciano and uh, for years. And then he got into slot machines and they say he put twenty five thousand slot machines in New York City in. And the list is restaurants, bus stations, bars, cafes. How did the, how do you put a slot machine in a bus stop? and get away with it. Hmm. And supposedly uh, LaGuardia cracked down and confiscated most of his and dumped them in the river. So then Frank Costello gets a hold of Louis, uh, Huey Long in Louisiana and sets up a deal to put slot machines in New Orleans, and he makes a killing on that. It's really fascinating. Eventually, he was stripped of his citizenship and did some time in prison. I didn't know you could take your people's citizenship away for crimes. I guess that's a deal. Didn't they do that? Was it Emma Goldman they sent back to? Well, if you were, does it have to be if you were naturalized? Because he was naturalized. He was he was not born in America, so he was a naturalized citizen. But if you're, in other words, he you know. Um, he wasn't born here. If you were born here, can they take your citizenship away? That seems weird. I don't think they can do that. Well, that's good to know. Well, maybe it's not good to know. I don't know. Who knows? But, but, hey, you, wanna, but you, you know wanna... what? It should be like a driver's license. Like every it's American a... should, you know, your citizenship should last lapse every seven years. Oh, and, and then and you have to take a test. And you have to take a test. And 
That's a good idea, David. See, you, yeah. you, you come up with the best ideas. I do think we need to write those ideas of Trump in prison. Yes. Like orange is the new orange. That would be a good one. I too. like that. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Trump sings and sing, sing. I like that. Uh, comb over at Alcatraz. The bird is this is a comb over. Mine's a comb back. Yeah. It's, it's his, what is his? What do you call that thing he does there? Uh, I, you know, I have to say his, a, his genius, there is a genius the to the hair. Because I pay attention to hair and I can't quite figure out. What is he doing there? I can't figure it out. From what I understand, reading. Has the, he had plugs? Yeah, well, this is what happened. Ivanka, okay. no, Ivana recommended a hair plug surgeon for him in the late 80s. And he came back and he was, according to the divorce deposition, I'm not making a joke, the late Ivana Trump said that he was so mad at her for recommending this hair transplant surgeon, he came home and raped her. Oh, really? Yes. And then because the settlement, she could get a, she rescinded for a bigger settlement, uh, but she accused him of marital rape. And from what I understand, he got. Who a, did you rape for your hair plugs? Uh, I got raped for my hair plugs. <laughs> and uh, what he got was a thing called a flap, where they take a lot of hair from the back, like, from back. like, like a, and put it off to the side. And then comb it so it's a comb over that starts on the side, but it w but it was unplanned. Wow, you've you've really given some thought to this. Well, I've studied, and so there's a swirl going on. A swirl, yeah. He's got a swirl going on of his own lioness hair, but then there are extent hair extensions. And it's looked a lot better since he uh, got into office, and he, he upgraded. Can and he can do the wind. Like he figured out how to have Although there's wind. one clip of him where it goes boop. Yeah. It goes it goes ninety degrees up. Yeah. And there's nothing underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one shot of that happening. Yeah, where he's boarding a plane. Yeah. And, and yeah. But Yeah. He, I used to use a lot of hairspray. I you know, I'd tell my wife, Can I borrow your crust? I gotta get more crust on this thing. Now there's not much up there. You're to doing crust. good. That's ah, okay. Look, I mean, there's nothing on the back. It's all right. I cut, I cut the ponytail off. I don't know. Nobody ever noticed. But we were in New Jersey. Wife. I don't know what happened, but somebody told every man who's middle-aged in New Jersey to wear a ponytail. <laughs> it's phenomenal. It's like it's like the 1970s. Even little bitty ones, right? Yeah. And there's it, and there's no hair up here. Yeah. It's just on. It's just, yeah. It's like yeah, the 1970s I, happened and every <laughs> guy in Jersey said, I'll stop right here. My closet, my hairstyle, I'm good for the rest of my life. I've had like three ponytails, you know, like, well, way back I had a lot of hair. But, um, you know, somewhere, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 10 years ago, I started growing ponytails and then I cut them off. And uh, but uh, it's just silly. You know, hair is pretty stupid anyway you want to play that song usa of distraction 
Yeah. Is this based on the Ralph Nader's uh, show? Yeah. Mickey uh, Huff. Mickey Huff. Yeah. His book, USA. You know, his book is U.S. United States of Distraction. OK. And uh, I have a redundancy and I didn't even notice it until I got it done. But I kind of USA of Distraction. Anyway, this is one of my better songs. I think it's amazing. And and the text is is uh, basically Ralph Nader and Mickey Huff. OK. I'm, OK. Old music from Professor Mike Steinel. They keep us all distracted So we never notice that our data has been extracted We're living every day, we're living every night In the USA of distraction All right The 
unintelligent spectacle of tabloid celebrity has squeezed down any room for social integrity. With profits to be made and minds to be molded, the media crushes the truth even when it's been scolded. It's books now more than ever that people need to read. Folks are hypnotized by their Twitter feed. We're living every day, we're living every night in the USA of distraction. neoliberal nightmare that cares more for Wall Street than anybody's health care. We've been bruised, battered, defunded, and dismantled. We've been diminished, infiltrated, manipulated, and manhandled. The sovereignty of citizenship, the bulwark of democracy, is under full attack by the cult of meritocracy. We're living every day. Yeah. Well, we're living every night. A distraction We're living every day Living every night In the USA A distraction We're living every day That is Mike Steinel. I'm getting a call from our producer. Hang on for one second. Yes, Professor Mike Steinel. I know he's fantastic. I, I know. Ants in the kitchen. Well, the president interrupted. Yes. Okay. I'll play. Yes. I, I will. Add. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Well, that's not... You don't need to bring up... Okay. I got the hair plugs when I was much young. Okay, thank you, sir. That's the boss. He wants me to play Ants in the Kitchen. Okay. Yeah, because the president interrupted. This is Rosanna Eckert and Ants in the Kitchen, written and performed by... Uh, Rosanna... Eck written by Professor Mike Steinel... That's yes, my song. Yes, sorry. Okay, I'll I'll take the the speed you gave me. Yes, he's got me on speed to wake up. That's the boss. Ants in the Kitchen, written and performed by Professor Mike Steinel, featuring Rosanna Eckert. Correct. Great. Is that correct? Cor that is correct. New mu, uh, not new music. Here we go. This is music from. 
Professor Mike Steinel. Isn't that great? Okay. I got, see, it's like the old show. I had an idea. Yeah. Trump doing pig for love. Pig for love. <laughs> oh my, what a great idea. That is a great idea. Run it by smile. He'll do it in a second. <laughs> Ants in the kitchen without President Trump. No Trump on this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so great. Thank you. 
little creatures made me lose my mind. I just don't know what I can do. They're everywhere, all around. I'm getting scared. You should be too. That, that is so great. That is Professor Mike Steinel. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear Now, I, I have... I, let me play this. Well, I, let me I, tell you who's on that track. Oh, yes. Okay. Pat Coyle playing the organ. Chris McGuire playing saxophone. Steve Barnes playing that great drums. John Adams playing bass. Rosanna Eckert singing. And that's me playing the trumpet. Go ahead. And this is, I believe... From last week when President Trump sat in with the band. <laughs> Okay, Trump. <laughs> Thelonious Trump. I had an uncle Thelonious Trump. <laughs> he was good too. He was. Well, he was one of, he was a virtuoso, virtuoso in in his day. Please welcome the forty fifth president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, Mr. President. Welcome. It's been a big week for you. Uh, do you know Professor Mike Dad. Steinel? He's a jazz trumpeter, pianist, author of the essential elements for jazz ensemble and building a jazz vocabulary. Have you uh, ever met Professor Mike Steinel? Never, never met him. Never met him. He's a professor, so his professors, they're all liberal. Right. Very sad, David. Do you, do you think jazz should be taught in our public schools? Of course jazz should be taught in our public schools, Dave. Jazz was invented by, you know who? Who? Blacks. <laughs> yeah, that's... Everyone loves jazz, David. You know what CRT is, David? Uh, critical race theory. Critical race theory, David. All that nonsense, David, could just be replaced by a simple do 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 All the crybaby stuff about slavery and this and that. There's one cure for that, the universal language of do 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 The good kind of jazz, David, the unthreatening kind, made by white men. You like jazz that's played by white men. Weather report type jazz day. Mm -hmm. Well, Mr. President, you've had a pretty remarkable week. And thank you for... Such a sad thing. Such a sad thing. What happened, David? (laughs) For our country, David. The country's a laughing stock, David. We're turning into a third world country, David. Before your very eyes, people are pouring into this country... Soon it's going to be a fourth world country, then <laughs> a fifth. People laugh, but four, and then before you know it, a seventh world country. <laughs> I don't even know how dark people can get, but we're going to find out. 
We're going to learn very soon, David. All we had to do was re-elect me, but the election was rigged. Mm -hmm. So we get Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe getting out of Afghanistan. I was going to get out with strength, David, with dignity, David. And instead, that was probably the most embarrassing moment in the history of our country. And until your show. Until tonight, we wasted 45 minutes talking to a jazz professor Jew. <laughs> I don't think he's Jewish. Sounded Jewish. Well, he's a professor. Exhibit A, David, he's a professor who likes jazz and he's white. That makes him a Jew. That was uh, Donald Trump sitting in with the, the Mike Steinel quintet. We got to do... Oh, man. We got to do Donald Pick Trump. Pick for love. Pick for love. Have him I'll send sit, a track. <laughs> Donald Trump sitting in with the band. It's just... I, it, you know, it's music. I listen to uh, Smigel, and I hear, I hear music. Don't you? Isn't there a music to him? Well, he's, he, he has a tremendous ear, so... The fact that he he sang that that he Badooba Dooba when he went Badooba Dooba that like he knew he knows what it is, you know, and then he yeah. would mess it up. You could tell he was like right. jacking with it, you know, just to make it funnier, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Nothing's funnier than you know, like at a certain point, nothing you know, like um somebody trying to imitate something that's hip who can't quite get it is pretty funny, you know, like like me trying to dance, you know, right. when I'm 19, 19 and 18, I look good. You know, now at 70, if I tried to do like something like that, it just looks silly. You yeah. know, so Smigel, Smigel is the funniest man in the world. Like if anybody who knows anything, be. anybody who knows anything about comedy knows that Smigel's the funniest man in the world, like the greatest comedy writer who, who's ever been in a room, just gut wrenchingly gut punch funny go i think you can find it on youtube go listen to come poop with me did you ever hear triumph's <laughs> album come poop with me no oh my god i would play it but i'd get dinged uh, okay I'm mama okay. go listen to mama okay it is uh, my mama might be the greatest song ever written. It's Triumph singing a tribute to his mother. The dog singing a tribute to his mother. The music on Come Poop With Me is, at the comedy, It's there's nothing funnier. Uh, one of my sons, when he was eight, memorized the entire album. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, anyway... And let's let's try to do a uh, pig for love. Okay, well, let's talk about it. What do you get? Like a scratch track where he can hear it? Oh and yeah, I'll, I'll send him. I'll send it. I'll, I'll take out my voice and I'll just send him the bed, and he can record. Like he can sing along with it, and then send it back to me, and I'll sync it up. You can sync it that way, and oh yeah, and can oh, you yeah. auto tune it? No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> He's not going to need auto-tune. That would take the funny out of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to take the funny out of it. Okay. Professor Mike Steinel, go to MikeSteinel.com for all your Mike Steinel 
needs, go buy <laughs> Saving Charlie Parker, a novel. You can buy it by going to MikeSteinel.com. Or you, SavingCharlieParker.com. Or SavingCharlieParker.com. <clears throat> buy the yeah. Audible version. It's a multimedia yeah. extravaganza, which features the song Turtle. And you can purchase it <laughs> on Amazon. Other you, places, too, David. Yeah, but everybody should shop on <laughs> Amazon. Come over to the dark side. Join me. Join me. Come to me, my, my babies. Come to me. That's too creepy. Stop that. I know. You creep Who me out. Who do you creep out? I creep somebody out. Yeah. All right. Should we All right, to? David. Thank it's you. It's time I love for you, me to go to bed. Bye. Go to bed. Thank you. Okay. It's like old times. I don't know how to say good night. It was. I know. Good night. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mike Steinell. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.